Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're maybe kind of getting back to normal to an extent. A few grounds in the Bundesliga are full again, and our guest this week, Matthew Marshall, is back in action in his particular way, going from stadium to stadium, taking in football games. Good to have you back, Matthew. Thanks for having me, Matt. Nice to be here. Yeah, yeah, it feels like old times. We're going to be looking at uh, a lot of the games that he took in, some of the teams he was able to sort of uh, get a little bit of a closer look at, as well as, you know, big wins for some top teams and some big comebacks for home sides on Sunday. Anyway, we'll be right back with all of the action from Match Day 9. But, you know, while I have you here, please do subscribe to the pod wherever you get your pods. Leave us a rating. Tell your friends. It is a big help. See you in a bit. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct. Some weeks, you know, we start at the top of the table. Sometimes we start with the weirdest, wildest stories. This week, we're actually going to keep it very simple, very concrete. As I mentioned in the introduction to this episode, Matthew's been up to his old ground-hopping tricks. So we're going to start with the action he took in in person. So we're going to start actually, oddly enough, with the Friday night match featuring a couple of unheralded teams, at least in terms of, you know, uh, nationwide fan interest in Germany. Uh, Mites, who absolutely put the hurt on Augsburg. It was a 4-1 win for them. Karim Anasiwo, Stefan Bell, Jonathan Burkhardt were all on target in the first half an hour, meaning that, uh, you know, Mainz, they got to play the final hour of this game, all but certain that they'd be snapping their four-game winless streak. Yeah, what did you make of Mainz on the night? It, it, it clearly was a bit of a mismatch, but it was probably good to see this team get back into the win column, right? Yeah, for sure. They'd gone through a bit of a rough patch. I actually caught them the week before in Dortmund where they went down 3-1. Uh, they were pretty awful in the first half there. They made a game of it in the second half. But yeah, as you mentioned, they were all over this game and it was over after about uh, yeah half an hour. Burkhardt back in the starting side. He was excellent. Onisuo with his pace. He could have had a lot more goals if he was a bit more composed in front of goals. He would be a real weapon. But yeah, it was a dominant performance. Really simple stuff from both Svensson, really just three to back. You know, a couple of quick guys up front. He's got his wing backs going on. Dominic Corbett's in midfield there. Pretty attacking lineup, really, with uh, Jay Sung and Botius in there. So, yeah, he went for it, and uh, his players delivered, and it was a really good performance, really good atmosphere there. The uh, the stand there with the ultras was packed, and, and you know, the, the players hung around, and Stefan Bell and Burkhardt went up to them with the, with the good old microphone and got into it. So it was a really excellent atmosphere. I haven't been down there for a very long time, but I always love going down to Mainz. It's a really friendly club, nice place to be. And yeah, it was a huge, uh, huge home win against an Augsburg side that were just terrible, really bad. And yeah, you've got to worry for them a bit. They've got, I guess, some important players out, but yeah, they just really looked, really looked ordinary and they continued to get, to get pumped uh, away from home. So 
yeah, disappointing from them, but yeah, really good win for Mainz, and uh, this will probably get them on track and give them a lot of confidence for sure. Yeah, let me, let me dig in just a moment on on Augsburg because you know your assessment of this game was that they were very poor. There were a lot of initial reactions going around uh, to this game on, on social media, talking about uh, Augsburg being very poor. You did make that nice caveat that they're missing a few key players, but. This definitely seems to be a club that's not moving in the right direction right now. And, and, you know, on whose feet can we lay the, the, the blame of this? Or, or is this just a collective, you know, lack of creativity in either coaching hires, in uh, squads, composition, players performing on the pitch? Cause it's, it's not adding up to anything good at all. No, I think it's just a mixture of everything, Matt. The squad's not fantastic. I'm guessing Niederlechner would be would be quite useful if he was fit. I guess Zakiri's got a bit of promise, but um, yeah, I guess Uduokai uh, he was he was missing. He's a pretty important player in defence. But really, it's all so many games are won and lost in midfield, Matt. And yeah, they just had nothing in the middle of the park. He tried to bring on he brought on Strobel at halftime. He was sort of sitting in the middle of a back three, but yeah, and Meyer tried hard. Um, maybe when Dorsch gets fit and he forms a partnership with Meyer, they can do a bit more in the middle of the park. But yeah, they were wide open on the counter-attack and just getting cut up time and time again. And, yeah, Marcus Weinziel doesn't get a whole lot of love, does he? He's, he's <laughs> uh, feel a bit sorry for him. I sort of try not to bag managers too much. But um, I think one of the questions I kept asking about Marcus Weinziel, mate, is why is his hair so messy all the time? <laughs> well, he, he, he's scratching his head quite a lot, I'm sure, watching his team play. Maybe that's what it is. But yeah, it's, it's every time I see him, his hair's just a complete mess, and it, it gives me it's a bit bit you know disconcerting. But no, getting back to the team, yeah, it's 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 ugly, and I think we've probably talked about them as much as we sh- we should really. Um, yeah, so, but mines were good, and um, yeah, back in the winner's circle is really good for them. They got a decent sort of run of fixtures coming up, so um, yeah, hopefully they can do well. But I guess we should talk about Burkhardt. I mean, you know, he, he's doing really well. You had uh, Hansi Flick in the stands there. He's actually been in the stands a couple of times to watch Mites. I'm not sure if he's there specifically to watch Burkhardt, but I'm sure he would have been pretty impressed. And, you know, he's got a, a big ceiling and an academy product there. So I guess he's the real story for this team at the moment. Yeah, I've, you know, in as much as it matters to anybody, I've kept my eye on him over the last couple of years and thought he was a very promising player. How far away do you think he is from being somebody that, um, you know, would be worth giving a shot in, in a big time national team like Germany's? I'd say he's still a fair way away from, from getting any game time for the national team. But, you know, if Fancy Flick's there and he's, he's watching you play in person and having great performances, that can't hurt you. And, you know, they, he's, he's shown Flick, that is, that, you know, he'll give young guys a chance. So, yeah, he, he might find his place in the squad soon enough if he keeps performing really well. It might say something a bit more about the other attacking players available to Germany at the moment if, you, if you're, you know, calling up Burkhardt, such a young player, but he's still got a year and a bit for the for Qatar World Cup. But who knows, man? That's a fascinating thing about football, isn't it? You just don't know how these guys are going to develop and how how high they can go. But certainly he's a, he's a going in the right direction at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It is one of those things when you have a World Cup that's over a year away, you know, not much, but a little over a year away. There's going to be some guys on that Germany squad that, that, you know, if you asked us today, would they be there? We would say you are absolutely joking. And it's just going to happen because they're going to either score a bunch of goals or they're going to, you know, 
get a bunch of games in defense and suddenly, you know, look more solid than anyone ever expected. It's, mm. it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a crystal ball that we just can't look very deeply into. Yeah. All right. So Mites and uh, Augsburg are going to be in action, you know, later this week, they're playing in the DFB Pokal. You know, Mites are, uh, are at home to Bielefeld and Augsburg are going to Bochum for their game. That'll be uh, interesting to see how those two teams fare. Yeah. Speaking of Bochum, you know, you didn't see them. You were planning on going to see them uh, this weekend, but you did see their opponents. Bochum were 2-0 winners at home over Eintracht. Pretty deserved win as far as I'm concerned, which is a little bit funny considering Eintracht was the team that you did see on Thursday night in the uh, Europa League against uh, Olympiacos, a good 3-1 win there. What did you make of Eintracht on the night in the Europa League. And, you know, I know you weren't at the game this Sunday in, in Bochum, but what have you made of Eintracht's sort of not very convincing start to the season? Yeah, I hadn't seen really much of them at all. And um, going down there was interesting to see them in, in person again and for the first time under Oliver Glasner. And I thought it was a turning point for them, actually, man. I thought this would be a turning point. I thought I wasn't surprised when he didn't make any changes for the starting side in Bochum. But yeah, they just they just haven't followed it up. Now, I guess you could say that win they had against Bayern was a little bit fortunate, mainly. And then, of course, they didn't follow that up either. They lost at home to Hertha with disappointing performance. So yeah, they are extremely inconsistent at the moment. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you would have uh, Borde step up and really make no doubt from the penalty spot against Olympiacos, and then you have Pacienza take the penalty today. And uh, he had a shocker. So that was a bit weird, but I guess that's a that's a small story in the big picture. But yeah, kind of long story short with Frankfurt, they're really inconsistent. He's, he's trying to figure things out. And obviously with this performance today, he's going to be going away thinking, you know, maybe he should have made a couple of changes here just to freshen things up, just to bring a few fresh legs into the side. There was a couple of injuries in the first half, guys going, going off injured. So disappointing for them. And obviously, every time I go and see Frankfurt, I'm just thinking about that Adi Hütter side, Matt, that reached the uh, semifinals of the Europa League a few years ago. And you, you just can't help comparing what you're seeing now to that awesome team. And the uh, the, the formation's really similar. Uh, and <laughs> when you've got Hasebe in, in, in center of the defense, and you know, Kostic on the left side, you know, there's a few similarities with, with even players there. A lot of new personnel, obviously, from that, that successful side, particularly up front. And of course, again, you just can't help but sort of, you know, think back to the the Haller, Jovic, Rebic trio that just devastated opposition defences. And um, yeah, he's sort of trying to recreate that in his own way, I guess, but he's a long way off at the moment. Yeah, so that's a bit disappointing. But for Bochum, I thought that was excellent uh, performance today. I thought the crowd was just fantastic, really, really loud, really noisy going for it. They were really up for the fight. And, uh, you know, I think what they've done with the recruitment is pretty good. And, um, you know, if I was Bochum supporter, I'd be, I'd be pretty confident of staying up and picking enough uh, points at home. What, what did you make of them today? Oh, I thought they were great. I thought they were great. I mean, you know, not great in terms of, of you know, slick, sexy football, but great in terms of, of you know, organization, effort, spirit, especially with what you said about the, uh, the, the atmosphere in that that ground. I, I have a big soft spot for, for Bochum and their stadium and that sort of experience there. So I, I was happy to see them sort of back at the level of uh, fervor that I have come to expect from Bochum. And, you know, I too think, you know, from what I have seen thus far this season, they 
are not getting pushed around like I think some people thought that they might be. And, and you know, I feel still that this is a puzzling performance from, from Eintracht, and I, I still think Eintracht are, are really underselling themselves. I don't know exactly what's gone wrong there. But this is the second week in a row where they have, you know, gotten beat by a team that they really probably expected to not only outplay, but, but you know, defeat. And uh, it's pretty troubling. They seem to rely, be relying on Kostic a, a lot, which is understandable to some extent. But the problem with that is it becomes really predictable for the opposition. And there was a lot of instances tonight where he just tried to do too much, you know, trying to beat two players. And uh, obviously he had those problems at the beginning of the season with some contract talk, I think. So, you know, they rely so much on Kostic. Uh, whereas before, as I mentioned, with that successful team a few years ago, he was just one of a bunch of players that could uh, make it happen. But it seems like if he's not making it happen, you know, they're, they're in a little bit of trouble. Still got plenty of talent, but, yeah, it's going to be difficult for Glasner to get some consistency, I, I would say. Obviously, the game's coming thick and fast for him with, with the Europa League stuff as well. So um, have to wait and see. But, yeah, Bochum, I think, uh, you know, getting a couple of wins there. I think, um, you know, after what we saw tonight, they should get a lot of confidence from that and hopefully, you know, pick up enough points at home and also give them confidence to to uh, get some points on the road also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess if there's there's only one thing that would, you know, leave a somewhat less than fully satisfying taste in Bochum fans' mouths, you know, it was great to get the win. It was great to get, uh, you know, a, a late-ish goal to sort of, you know, put the icing on the cake to sort of make sure they were going to get the result. But, man, they <laughs> they had a lot of chances in that second half on the break when, uh, you know, Frankfurt was committing a lot forward. I mean, Elvis Rex Bichai, Poulter, Tokumelsano, all could have scored in that uh, second half. This could easily have been a 3-4-5-0 result. Yeah, when you're bringing on Garrett, Maradona, Holtman, you know, and even Anthony Adjay on the other side, those guys are just complete speedsters. So they're really handy guys to bring on off the bench. And yeah, Holtman could have had a couple of assists. Um, so yeah, if they can improve their finishing, that uh, they can do even better. For sure. All right. You know, Bochum are in, in action in the uh, the cup. They host Freiburg uh, on Tuesday. Frankfurt, of course, are out. But let's move on to Freiburg, since I just mentioned them. They got a 2-0 win in Wolfsburg. You know, as we've seen a number of times this season, Freiburg, who are, of course, the, the, the last unbeaten side in the league, didn't exactly play their opponents off of the park, but like, were just so much better organized, much more reliable uh, in front of goal. They scored off a corner. They scored off of a, a well-worked counter. And I was a little surprised to learn on Sunday that Wolfsburg went ahead and pulled the trigger and got rid of Mark van Bommel uh, as their coach after just nine league games in charge. I guess before we talk about Freiburg, who I think is well worth talking about considering you know how high up the table they are, uh, let's talk a little bit about Wolfsburg. We got a listener question from uh, uh, Thomas Mullaney asking, you know, what in the world is happening there? They're impotent up front. They're disorganized at the back. He sent this question in prior to van Bommel being fired. He was thinking, you know, maybe this is going to happen. I was, at the time, a little bit skeptical, but maybe I shouldn't have been, knowing Jörg Schmatke and his troubled relationship with a lot of coaches. What is going on there, and were you surprised by this move? Not really. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, they won their first four Bundesliga games. Yeah, uh, yeah. Breaking records. They beat you know, Leipzig at home. 
And yeah, it's just been terrible. I haven't seen a whole lot of them. I did catch a fair bit of the the, the Champions League game actually, which was against Salzburg uh, last week, which they they lost three one. And some of that defending was just absolutely horrendous. I mean, the first one, the one from Mbabu, but then the second two. I mean, you just got these guys standing around the six yard box, leaving Salzburg attacker uh, Okafor, but, but completely free twice, and they're just standing around. I mean. Hugely worrying when you see that sort of stuff going on. I don't know how much of that is Van Bommel's fault, but still, yeah, uh, this was just, uh, <laughs> looks like uh, they're waiting for this to happen. And as soon as they lost um, against Freiburg, that was it. They pulled the trigger. I'm not, obviously, uh, I don't read a whole lot of news, but it seemed like a lot of people weren't really keen on Van Bommel being appointed in the first place. Um, I'm just not sure what really evidence for that was. Obviously, he was in charge of PSV for a little bit. Might not have done a fantastic job there, but it's not like he's had a lot of. That was his basically only, you know, head coach position. So it's not like he's had a lot of failures or anything. So I thought he would have sort of been given the benefit of the doubt. And obviously, with such a fantastic start, you know, it looked like things were going well there. But I can only imagine there must have been something going on in the in the dressing room. Maybe I heard Veghorst um, uh, when he came off the bench a couple of weeks ago in his post match interview, saying, you know, a bit disappointed, sort of. Why am I coming off the bench sort of thing? So I don't know. That's just a real minor thing, but there must have been something else going on, surely, you know, rather than just results. I mean, they were bad, and obviously losing at home at Freiburg at the moment is not the worst thing. Freiburg haven't lost, but, yeah, I guess it just all culminated into the, the head honchos there at Wolfsburg just saying, let's just pull the trigger now, and they must have someone else in mind also, man. I'm, I'm guessing that's a part of it. Yeah, yeah, it makes me think that, um, you know, first of all, as you as you mentioned a moment ago, people were kind of skeptical about Mark van Bommel as a replacement for Otto Glasner, who had done so well there, considering his his pretty thin resume. I think it casts Jörg Schmatke and and Marcel Schaefer, the two sort of you know decision makers on, on the sporting side of things at that club, in a pretty pretty negative light. The fact that they, you know. They got rid of their last two coaches who had both done well, Labadia and Glasner, because of, you know, personality issues. They brought in somebody who was sort of their guy and he turned out to be terrible and they got rid of him after less than 10 games. It makes, it makes me think that something is wrong with the decision making process or the, um, sort of workplace culture there. I don't know who they have in mind. I'm sure they do. I mean, any, any, club worth anything probably has somebody lined up at this point, but it's, I don't know who is going to come in there and do well and get along with, with Schmatka and stick around for very long. Yeah. I guess we'll hear about it in the, in the coming days. I'm sure they've been talking to someone. Obviously every club has a, has a short list of guys they're looking at and, and keeping in mind if, if it does turn to that. But um, what's interesting about it is like, you know, it seems like Schalke or whatever that just make, or made bad decisions in every part of the club. I thought actually what Wolfsburg had done with their recruitment wasn't too bad. You know, they brought in mm-hmm. uh, Sebastian Borno, who has a pretty high ceiling. I'm not completely sold on him, but, you know, it's not, it's not a bad move to bring him in. And uh, my, I've been pretty critical of sort of their wingers and their support players for, for Val Vekos for a few years, and I was actually quite hopeful when they brought in uh, Nemecha, He's a, he's a really good player, mm-hmm. and obviously they brought in Waldschmidt uh, also and Luca Bacchio. So all those guys were kind of upgrades in a way. Losing Brekolo, you know, Brekolo was sort of um, progressing quite nicely, but still, you know, I was quite, I quite like what they were doing with their recruitment. Obviously, losing Jarvis Lager was was a huge blow because their their midfield 
really looks a bit weak at the moment, a little bit light. So that's, that's a big problem. And again, I keep saying it over and over again, Matt, central midfield is where you win and lose games. So, yeah, losing him is a reason for their recent um, bad run of results. So, yeah, maybe they sort of should have strengthened a little bit more in central midfield. But what I'm saying is that, you know, that, that you know what I'm saying? Like Schalke just made – certain clubs just make bad decisions all the, all the way through. So, yeah, here, here it seems like they've done okay with the recruitment. But, you know, for, for, for whatever reason, it's just gone south with Van Bommel in a real quick hurry. Yeah, I was not shocked because I was one of the people who was not convinced that he was a good, good choice to begin with. But, um, you know, I was shocked that they admitted defeat as quickly as they did, which is maybe maybe a good thing. But considering all the names that you mentioned about players who they brought in, uh, as along with the players who were linked with moves, you know, guys like Maxence Lacroix sticking around, I mean, there is no reason why this team should be significantly worse off than they were last year. And, and I guess the difference was the coach they sort of determined. All right, let's, let's talk then about what was going on on the grass of the, uh, Bielefelder Alm on Saturday, where, uh, Dortmund were in action against Armenia. They were 3-1 winners on the day. Emery John, he was, uh, back in action at last, got them on the scoreboard through a penalty kick just after the half hour mark. Mats Hummels with one of his, you know, prettier goals from distance, uh, just before halftime and Jude Bellingham doing his best Leo Messi impression to go along with uh, that of, uh, you know, our, our man from Bochum making it three nil eight minutes from time. Matthew, you, however, in the lead up to our getting this pod going, said that you were not impressed with Dortmund and haven't been impressed with them this season. What's your hot take? Uh, well, I saw them for the first time at that game in Mönchengladbach where they had a lot of attacking players out, which was, uh, you know, a reason, I guess, for their bad performance. But I've never seen them play that that poorly ever. So as I said, there were some excuses, but it was really quite alarming because I don't think Mönchengladbach are really that good at the moment. Of course, it was Rose's return to... Uh, to, to the club after leaving him. So there was a whole lot of whole lot of stuff going on. Yeah, he had Mo Dahoud, obviously. He had a shocker too. He got he got sent off. So there was a lot of um, lot of stuff going on. But I just thought they were extremely poor. And then I saw them against uh, at home against Mainz and they were electric in the in the first half. But then they let Mainz kind of back into the game and it was a little bit curious why, you know, you would leave Erling Haaland on the on the pitch, considering he was unlikely to he was coming into the game with an injury cloud sort of thing. So it was a little bit weird. And then, of course, you watch that game in Ajax where they just got completely annihilated. And it just made me think, Matt, is, is Marco Rosa maybe, obviously he's an extremely smart guy, right? He's a fantastic top-level manager, but is he top, top-level manager? As in, you know, Dortmund winning Bundesliga, you know, getting, getting obviously he did a great job with, with the Foles in that Champions League run, but you know how some managers, they go to these bigger clubs and it just tends to sort of not work. I mean, it just seemed to me that game against Ajax was hugely alarming. They just got absolutely crushed. And, you know, Erling Haaland was there. You can imagine if he's not on the pitch, there's a lot of excuses they can use, but if he's there. So I'm just starting to have a bit of doubts maybe about Marco Rosa being top, top level. Am I making sense? You're totally making sense. And I I feel like um, you're right to point out that uh, in a lot of cases, when you're making that move to a big club, to a Champions League club, when you get found out at 
the Champions League level. And I'm not sure that we need to interpret the loss in Amsterdam uh, in, in that context, but it was a, a bad loss and it was a loss to a team that, let's be honest, has more, I guess, deep Champions League experience in its recent history, I guess, than, than maybe Dortmund does, but still play in a league which is not as testing as the Bundesliga, allegedly. There's not really a good reason to get crushed like that unless you got something very wrong in your preparations. I, I think that it, it's worth asking those questions about Marco Rosa because he was the guy that they put a lot of effort into wooing, and it's not clear that it's going to really bear significant fruit. There's certainly yeah, some big questions with, with the things I mentioned with keeping Ireland, Holland, however you, how we say it, Holland, Haaland. Anyway, you know who I'm talking about. But. Uh, it, depends on, it depends on how much effort I want to put in. Okay. But you know what I mean? Leaving him on the, on the, against Mainz when you're 2-0 up, 10 minutes to go, surely you just get him off there. But there were, I guess, a few dramas here with Nico Schultz. He's been pretty average. He just hasn't got enough game time. His confidence looks shot. So you had to bring on Emre Can at left back against Anthony. I mean, that's just a, a disaster waiting to happen. So there was couple of things going on there. But you look at Axel Witzel, it seems like he's, you know, he's definitely not having as, as much impact as he as he was. Right back is a little bit of an issue. You know, even central midfield, Julian Brandt is, 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 he's not really a central midfielder, is he? You know, Marlon has not really got running as of yet. The squad just doesn't look that good. It just, just you look at the squad and obviously Royce is fantastic. You know, Ireland's next level. Jude Bellingham is going to be a superstar. So you've got those sort of three guys. But outside them, it's just looking a bit kind of average to me, really. So, yeah, if, if I was a Dortmund supporter, I'd be a little bit concerned. And, uh, you know, I, I can see people looking at the table at the moment thinking, well, they're not that far away. But I think they are a long way away from Bayern Munich. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's time to speak for just a moment about where the league's at right now. Obviously, Bayern are, are in a class... Uh, by themselves. I think that with all the criticism that we have laid at the feet of, of Dortmund and Macarosa, they are where they are on the table for a reason. But looking past them, you've got some pretty surprising stuff going on. I mean, Freiburg is just two points behind Dortmund. Union are, are you know, Three points behind Freiburg, you know, Leverkusen are sandwiched in there. I guess that's, that's sort of a, an expected place for them, fourth place at the moment. And, you know, a lot of teams who are, are sort of still punching above their weight, teams like Mainz. I mean, wh what do you think is going on in the league right now? And, and I fear in some ways that all the, you know, coaching changes that happened over the summer, especially at high profile clubs, along with, you know, sales of some pretty prominent players outside the league. I don't think that the Bundesliga has as much quality right now as it has in some recent seasons. Yeah, it's a really hard sell. It is, you know, it's always about the young players and for sure there are a lot of them, but you know, they're they're not going to be around that long. I guess we should just give Freiburg a little bit of love. We sort of skipped over them because we were focusing on on Van Bommel, but you just got to give Strike so much credit. I mean, there's not really a whole lot you can add to the Freiburg story. Everybody knows how important he is, how good he is, you know, how he gets the most out of this team. And to have the best defense in the Bundesliga after nine matches, Freiburg, best defense in the Bundesliga. And, you know, to have not lost, the only club to have not lost the game, that's just phenomenal. I mean, whatever you thought about 
Christian Schleich and 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 Freiburg, <laughs> your estimations have to have to go up even higher. So you just cannot praise him and that club at the moment enough. You know, they just moved into their new stadium, which good thing, I guess. <laughs> uh, that other their old stadium was obviously awesome. But either way, yeah, you got to give them a lot of love. But as you said, yeah, a lot of these coaching changes just haven't worked out that well. We talked about Eintracht. Um, we'll get on to Gladbach soon. It didn't work out that well for, for Wolfsburg. Uh, Leverkusen are going okay. I guess we'll dive into them. And uh, Dortmund, as I said, the, the league table, you look at it and you think, yeah, not bad. But I think there's some some, some issues there for sure, especially now with uh, obviously Erling Haaland out for what well, he's out till December or something. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Obviously, you can beat Bielefeld on the road, but Dortmund just cannot keep a clean sheet to save their lives. They're, they're really poor defensively, and that's a huge problem. Yeah, yeah, we'll see if uh, uh, an Erling Holland less Dortmund have enough to get past uh, Ingolstadt in the DFB Pokal uh, on Tuesday. Bielefeld, they're they're going to Mainz for their cup match. Uh, Bielefeld, just real quick, your take on them? Are they are they likely to be involved in the relegation scrap till the bitter end? You'd have to think so. I haven't. I, I can't really talk about them too much. I haven't seen them live. I don't think I've even really seen them much on TV, but for sure, you know, only scoring five goals, that's a huge problem. And yeah, they're going to be fighting relegation for the remainder of the season, you would have to say, for sure. All right, let us take a little break. We're coming back for part two of Talking Foosball Direct. This is the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. Um, I think we can probably start with uh, a couple of big wins for big teams here. Uh, FT Bayern were 4-0 winners over THG Hoffenheim. And this is beginning to be a bit of a habit <laughs> with them. They can't stop scoring in bunches. 5-1 last week in Leverkusen. 4-0 against Sporting Club de Portugal at midweek. They ordered the same again at home to Hoffenheim. Everybody and, and their brother got on the score sheet. Gnabry, Lewandowski, Chupamoting, Coman. Are they the best team in Europe right now, you reckon? It's going to be interesting to see what, what happens. Obviously, they're going to have to get past one of these uh, excellent teams in England, in Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea. That really seems like those four teams uh, streaming ahead. Obviously, PSG have a lot of talent. I'm not sure if they're a great team. And there's some issues with the teams in Spain, perhaps so. Italy, maybe. I'm not sure if those teams can match them. So it really does seem like those three teams in England and Bayern are sort of, you know, they're playing the best football for sure. And now that they're getting used to Julian Nagelsmann's uh, ideas, they're really flourishing. They're just, they're, just, they're just smashing it. I mean, I was at that game against uh, in Leverkusen where they were 5-0 up at halftime. And what they're doing is not that complicated, but they're just doing it so well. You know, you've got uh, speedsters out wide and uh, who, who are coming inside to, to make overloads and, you know, the awesome fullbacks. They've just got quality all over the pitch. Obviously, you've got Kimmich in, in the middle of the park. Muller doing his thing. They haven't really had any injuries, so that's also in their favour. I guess you had to command out, and, but uh, they've got so much quality all over the place. You can bring in Musiala and, you know, it's just, uh, it's just incredible. A lot of versatility too, Matt. You know, you've got... Uh, defenders who can play fullback or central defence. Kimmich, obviously, he can play in different positions. But yeah, they're just they're just crushing it. They're just absolutely demolishing teams on a regular basis. I mean, Lewandowski could have had a hat trick at half time here against Hoffenheim, 
how he missed that chance really early on. And, you know, he's just obviously continues to be on fire. And, yeah, it's just a shame that it just, you know, Bundesliga for them is just a little playground. And then Champions League is where they sort of meet the big boys and, and, and test themselves, really. I know it's been said to death, but I just can't see just can't see anyone challenging them. I mean, I was thinking of some sort of analogy. And uh, if, if the Bundesliga was a movie, you know, and it started nine years ago, let's say, and let's say this is the halfway point and you're in the movie theater and you have your, and your big box of popcorn there and you're, you know, enjoying the show. And then if they somehow bought Erling Haaland, you know, I, I'd just get up and walk out of the theater. I'd just be like, okay, that's enough. I've, I've seen enough. So I really, really hope that doesn't happen. Obviously, it's going to be the question that's been for so long. What happens after Lewandowski? What happens if he gets injured? But that just never, never seems to happen. So they just keep rolling on. As I said, the the Nagelsmann effect is is in full swing, and he comes up with he comes up with plans. The players are good enough and smart enough to execute them, and they're just steamrolling opposition every week. Yep, I would wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I think the only thing that maybe sort of uh, maybe stands in their way could be COVID stuff. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann, of course, uh, had a positive test which kept him out of this game. And uh, a pretty big controversy erupted within the German media following the game as well uh, about uh, Joshua Kimmich's uh, decision not to get vaccinated and his explanations about uh, not feeling like he was able to do his research about long-term effects of the uh, of the the, the vaccine, which I, I think a lot of folks, including me, found rather unsatisfying or, or, or ill-informed. You know, you're really playing with fire, and I think that um, there could be difficulty ahead if they were to have uh, more folks test positive and or to really contract a, a bad case of this thing. I mean, Thomas Müller was asked about it after the game as well. And, you know, we emphasize that it is Kimmich's choice. Of course, it's his choice to, to, to do what he wants. But he also implied pretty strongly that it's not the choice he has made or would make considering the responsibilities he has to his team and what that decision might mean for the team. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, I'm a huge believer in liberty and personal freedom. And it's obviously unfortunate that this thing with Kimmich has, has coincided with Nagelsmann testing positive. But, yeah, I, I don't want to really go too heavy into, into this sort of stuff. I, you know, I've had my vaccination. So, yeah, I, it's difficult, really difficult. I, I, I don't really, as I said, I'm a huge believer in, in liberty. I, I stand up for personal freedom. You know, as long as you're not messing with anyone else. And, of course, that's the, that's the line here, isn't it? That's the discussion. Are you messing with other people by not getting vaccinated? But as far as I know, you can still catch it. You can still pass it on. So, you know, we're not medical experts, mate, that's for sure. And, um, yeah, it's obviously unfortunate that, uh, you know, this sort of stuff gets talked about, um, you know, instead of, instead of uh, <laughs> the 11 guys kicking the ball around. But uh, I guess it will, it will stay, stay around in the media and, and uh, we'll just have to see what happens with him. And, you know, I guess if he, if he changes his mind, then I guess, um, you know, if he, if he comes out and says, look, I've, I've changed my mind or whatever and I'm getting vaccinated, then that would have a, a positive effect, you would think, on a lot of people who are tossing up whether to get vaccinated or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean – I, too, think it's everybody's right to uh, not get vaccinated if they want to. I think uh, 
no matter what your reason is, that that's your right. But it's also my right and a lot of other people's right to criticize people for doing that, especially when the grounds that you're citing are so flimsy. So, you know, he, he may not like the fact that he is sort of being asked these questions or that um, a circumstance arose that, that sort of made these questions seem appropriate to reporters, which I think that, that it was in light of, of uh, Nagelsmann's positive test. But, um, you know, he's a big-time footballer. He's one of the most famous people in Germany. It would be really great if he could, uh, you know, be a role model, as you say, and uh, turn this story around. Wouldn't be surprised if that happens. But yeah, I guess it's just a matter of watch this space. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on and, and talk about Leipzig. They also got a big win. They were 4-1 winners at home to Kreuterfurt. But to say that their manner of victory was dissimilar to Bayern is, is, is to, to kind of undersell it, maybe. I mean, they just didn't have it going in the first half of this game. They were actually 1-0 down at halftime, but, you know, figured things out in the second half, really poured it on. In fact, got a, a late goal for the youngster, Ugo Novoa. What do you make of Leipzig's rather uneven start to this season? Is it strictly down to getting used to a, a new coach who has some different ideas and, and somebody different up front who hasn't quite gelled in with the team? Or is there sort of more deep-lying issues going on? No, it's just, I think it's just a combination of all those things. You've got a new manager in, you've got the new man up top, but you've also lost some really important players. You've lost it from Akana. You've lost uh, Kanata, you've lost Sabitzer. So that, that those guys are huge. So it's just a combination of all those things. So, yeah, I guess their inconsistency has been quite alarming. Their defence has been pretty poor. Their inability to keep clean sheets is uh, is a worry. So, yeah, they've definitely had a bit of a slow start and, and yeah, they went into the break, one down here. So yeah, they managed to turn it around. Obviously, you got Nkunku, who's, you know, really playing well. Forsberg is... You know, getting back to his best, you might say. Zabola's lie also, you know, when, when he's been on the pitch, he's been, been doing some good things. So they've still got a really excellent squad. But you look at their defence and he's going with a back three with uh, Billy Orban in the middle, who's, who's pretty good. But then you've got Guardiola on one side, Mukiele, uh, really. You know, it's no wonder they're kind of struggling defensively, I think. Simakan has done some good things also, but he's pretty, pretty, pretty young, still, you know, progressing. So... Yeah, they've got it playing a lot of games too, so it hasn't been the easiest situation for Marsh to walk into, really. As I said, you know, losing all those guys uh, is going to take some time to get used to. So, yeah, disappointing that they're not um, not going to be challenging uh, anywhere near the top of the table for a while, which you know limits the challenges for Bayern Munich even more. But they're still there or thereabouts, and um, they will still fancy their chances of finishing in the top four. I would say. Yeah, yeah, I think they definitely have it in them, and I think that the, the general trend is moving in the right direction. I mean, even that loss that they uh, suffered at midweek against uh, Paris Saint-Germain, I thought they looked pretty good in, in a lot of that game, and I think that it very easily could have gone another way were it not for some interesting penalty decisions. Yeah, and, and some of the defending is just really poor, so he's going to have to try and find his best sort of – shape and and personnel starting 11 to try and limit some of those chances they did, they've done pretty well at home but i think some of the wins they've had against the you know who have they beaten at home stuttgart Hertha, bochum great food i mean it's it's not really the it's not really a bunch of awesome teams there so yeah you know haven't beaten any good teams yet matt with all with all due respect 
Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, that'll be coming in soon enough. You're, you're, oh, it's absolutely true. Um, let's let's uh, let's talk about a couple of rousing comebacks uh, by by home sides on Sunday. Cologne. They were two nil down in the first half after uh, Leverkusen hit him with a one two punch. Uh, you know, two goals in just a couple of minutes. But uh, eventually, they reeled in Leverkusen. Anthony Modeste uh, scored two in the second half. Do you read this more as as Leverkusen letting a game get away from them, or that uh, Cologne their fight back was just too strong? No, Leverkusen threw this one away. I mean, you had Frimpong; uh, he broke clear, and he had two guys unmarked, and he went for the goal, hit the bar. He also had a, a, a couple of other uh, opportunities where he raced clear and, and, and made the wrong option. Yeah, they should have been well clear. They should have been three, four nil up at half time, I thought. And yeah, they they let them back into the game, so that was disappointing. But you know, Curl have a bit of a habit of this of, of conceding first at home and then storming back into it in the second half. So you got to give them credit. Modest, obviously, a couple of goals there. I didn't really see the comeback coming. I thought they were pretty poor. Hector had a good chance. Uh, mm-hmm. We well, had two good chances. Really, one was saved. The other was a header, sort of miss. I guess they finished the half okay, but. Yeah, this was Leverkusen throwing away two points, I thought. But as I said, you've got to give Köln credit, and it's great to see the club getting behind uh, Stefan Baumgart. He's an interesting character. He gives them a lot of drive, a lot of fight, and, and that's exactly what you need with a, a club with with these sort of rosters. You know, that sort of effort and that attitude is going to get you a whole long way. So, um, yeah, for their sake, I hope they can get a bit more of that and, and avoid any relegation drama and, and kind of start building a little bit rather than sort of being this eternally threatened with relegation club. Yep. Yep. It's, it's interesting that, uh, that you mention you know, the sort of fighting spirit aspect of things, because I really feel like in a lot of cases, the thing that gets some of these smaller clubs, clubs like Freiburg, clubs like Mites, who are very well aware of their position in, in the sort of financial table of the Bundesliga. Everyone at the club, whether you're working as a, as a, as a trainer or a, a coach or, you know, a right back, everybody knows that that's the deal. And if you don't fight hard, you're probably going to get beat a lot. And if these, you know, Traditionsvereine, these sort of, you know, big clubs from big cities with a lot of history, but not a lot of wins lately, if they could start digesting that idea a little bit like Cologne has this season, I think things could go better for them. You see it in every single sport, Matt, every single sport, you know, um, you have teams that are better than others on paper that are worth more financially. But, uh, you know, the team that brings it on the day is the team that generally, you know, wins. But you've got to give them full credit. They've only lost twice. And one of them was 3-2 at Bayern München. And the other one was just that debacle in Hoffenheim. They were just woeful. But, uh, yeah, backing up with this will give them some confidence. And um, you'd have to say so far it's it's going pretty well. I mean, it's not it's not genius stuff, I don't think, tactically. Um, you've got Modest and Ut, pretty useful players. So it's just basically get them as much ball as you can. Obviously, Modest is pretty useful at converting crosses. Um, you know, Leverkusen are bad at, at preventing those things. So it was no real surprise that that avenue got them back into the game. So... Yeah, it's just um, it's just keep it simple, work hard, and um, get the ball into the box for Modest and and try and get those two guys up front involved. You know. Yep. Yep. All right, Stuttgart. They also took advantage of of, of a fighting spirit, and 
I guess maybe both senses of the word. Uh, they waited all the way to the final minute of their home match against uh, FT Union Berlin to get an equalizer. It was a 1-1 final. They, however, played a man down for more than half an hour of that game. And it was maybe the dumbest, <laughs> the dumbest double yellow uh, sending off uh, I've ever seen. Oh, uh, Atakan Karasor gets booked for, you know, a pretty overzealous challenge in, in midfield. And literally on the restart of the foul that he had just committed, commits another foul yeah. <laughs> against the player who receives the ball. Bad tackle, late challenge, studs up, full body sliding in. It was so obvious that that was going to be another yellow worthy challenge. I couldn't believe it. It was 34 seconds, uh, I read somewhere, between the first and second yellow cards. Yeah, it was an absolute shocker. If if, if I was the manager, you know, you'd be having a, a pretty stern word with him. You might even be looking at fining him or, you know, it'd be pretty hard for him to get back in my team if I was manager. They were poor, I thought, today. I watched a, a bit of that. And, yeah, they just really haven't been offering anything in the last few matches as far as uh, going forward and, creating many chances. So again, yeah, they're just a really kind of average team. I thought the crowd was hugely disappointing too. I mean, it looked like the, the ultras there, I guess that, what is it? The Nord Northern side, that was pretty much full. So I'm assuming there wasn't like restrictions, but the rest of the stadium was like, where was everybody? I mean, um, anyway, that's a bit of a side issue, but um, yeah, on the pitch, it was pretty poor. And I don't know what union were doing. I mean, they had this game fully in control. You know, Awani is just in sensational form. I mean, how good is he? He's just killing it. He's he's really good. You'd have to assume there's a lot of, with all respect, bigger clubs looking at him. And, um, yeah, they'll make some money on him, but still losing him is going to be a bit of a problem. But, yeah, they threw away two points here, the same as Leverkusen. They just, I mean, they, they were a man up, Union, and they just started falling deeper and deeper and deeper. So um, that's something that I guess they have to get used to. But, yeah, you've got to give the Union and what they're doing whole lot of credit they're doing everything right on and off the pitch making great decisions and um yeah a bit worried about stuttgart just looks like it's just stale and there's just really nothing to get excited about I'm, i was trying to think about some positives with this team but i can't really find any that is there is there any no i i am i'm also worried about stuttgart i feel like much of what got them uh going last season which was a real sort of tight straightforward tactical outlook, as well as a bunch of young players who really wanted to be on the big stage and, and show what they were all about. Something about that plan is just not coming off this season. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's lovely that you get, I mean, the goal scorer, the, the equalizer goal scorer, Wahid Fakir, the young Danish guy, a lovely story. And they've got a couple of other uh, young players who, you know, have caught the eye at times this season, but it's just not adding up this season and the way that it did last. They haven't lost that many games, but and I guess, you know, they scored a majority of their goals in the first game, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Five uh, one again they had a big win in the in the Pokal as well. But yeah, there's just something about this team, about this squad, just doesn't fill me with a, a whole lot of enthusiasm. I remember I went to Hoffenheim quite a bit uh, back in the day and um, I remember watching Matarazzo quite a lot, you know, sitting next to uh, to Nagelsmann and you could tell then that uh, you know he had a lot of respect from the players and he sort of knew what he was doing. So it wasn't that surprised that he went there and got off to a pretty good start. But 
yeah, I think they really need to um, just sort of focus on youth, like a lot of teams really do. And um, yeah, maybe maybe Fakir is, is the guy to now maybe get some more game time and I'd like to see what happens with them. But as I said, Union, you just got to give him so much credit. What about Awani, Matt? I mean, he's just destroying it, like six goals in five games. His partnership with Cruiser is great. You know, what are your thoughts on him? Oh, I think he's brilliant. And I, I was particularly impressed with his uh, his finish on that 1-0 today. I mean, that was, you know, not the easiest place to take your to sort of pick your spot from. I mean, it was it was a bit of a wide open situation. It was, you know, not a set defense. It was um, you know, he he had other runners with him so that he wasn't super tightly marked, but he took it earlier than I think the goalkeeper expected. And he took it with a, a great deal of finesse, which, you know, you don't always associate with a player who is is known as something of a power player or, you know, is somebody who can hit the ball with a lot of a lot of uh, snap on a lot of his goals. So I, I was quite impressed. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's really strong. He's, he's quick. And he seems to be learning really fast as well. And I think he's, he's learning a lot from, from Cruiser. I think uh, in a lot of those post-match interviews, he, he's talking about Cruiser. And uh, he knows that if he puts himself in, 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 in some space, then he's going to receive the ball, particularly from, from Cruiser. I mean, he got the assist today from uh, from Becker, but still, yeah. I mean, it looks looking like an absolute bargain. What was it, seven million? And again, just such just such such smart business to have him for a year on loan to to really see what he's he's about. And um, yeah, you just got to give Union so much credit as a club. I know, I know. They 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 seem to uh, buy a lot of useful players at uh, very useful prices. Uh, I I too think that his time at Union is probably not going to be. Uh, all that long, I think they already could probably sell him for at least twice what they paid for him, and uh, that's that's going to be a very tempting proposition for a club of that size. Yeah, I look behind. I, I don't, honestly, I don't think it's great, great squad. Like a, a lot of the players, I'm not that sold on. You know, Nocha, Yakel, um, Randy Kadira. Like these guys at other clubs, I was just like, yeah, okay. They were squad players, basically. You know, so that's just that's all about. Uh, it was Fisher, isn't it? I mean, you know, when you've got a team like this, and same with Freiburg, when you've got a team where you don't don't have superstar that much superstar quality, yet they're performing, you know, much better than they I guess they should on paper. Then that that's all down to the manager. So again, you got to give Fisher all the credit for that. All right, we got one more game to talk about. It is about the other. Berlin side who were winners 1-0 at home to uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. You know, I was clearly quite happy about Hertha's uh, win, you know, second win on the trot. Uh, but I can only imagine that um, this was not necessarily what uh, Germany and the world were, were looking for uh, from a top spiel from the, uh, the Saturday night game in terms of, uh, you know, end-to-end stuff and uh, slick football. Uh, what did you make of this game? I mean, I personally think that, you know, Hertha were well worth their win in this game. They, you know, limited... Gladbach's chances pretty pretty seriously and, um, you know, at least had flashes of effective attacking play. But it wasn't a real barn burner. <laughs> I think you owe me two hours of my life back, Matt, because if I hadn't have been coming on the podcast, I don't think I would have watched this game. And um, it was one of the worst games I've seen in a long time. Just stop, start, stop, start, foul after foul after foul. Oh my and, God. Uh, yeah, I expected a lot more from, from, uh, from Gladbach here, but 
or talk about um, her to, I guess. I mean, I don't know. It's just obviously it's a work in progress. And I guess they've done well. To, what have they won four out of their last six? Not not against, I guess, winning a night in Frankfurt's not bad. Picking up the three points here. But overall, doesn't fill me with a whole lot of excitement, really, what they're doing. Uh, the squad doesn't really... You know, it just doesn't excite me too much. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really go out of my way to watch them. Don't want to sound too negative here, but that's just uh, the truth from my perspective. I guess Piantec is pretty good, uh, but yeah, I'm just really struggling. I've never really rated Askasiba too highly. Um, is there much youth coming through here, Matt? I guess you've got uh, Eklund Kamp has come off the bench, done some some useful things, but Maolita maybe. But overall, this doesn't really fill me with a whole lot of excitement. Herta, what about you? I think that you, you mentioned Santi Escobar a moment ago, and I think that that he actually had a good game at what he does well, which is to chase down balls, to put himself into passing lanes, to uh, tackle in in a pretty you know competent way. But it was a pretty bad game from him and the things that he doesn't do well, which is to say, sort of push the ball forward either with, with, uh, you know, ball carrying or passing. And that really, I think, is where Hertha's at right now. They're basically at, they are Santiago Sebar. They have learned how to sort of pull off a competent midfield press that I would say many, if not most teams in the Bundesliga will, will struggle to sort of wriggle their way out of. But they have a long, long way to go when it comes to sort of connecting things, uh, to, to, you know, effective attacking patterns. At the moment, you know, Swat Serdar is a real bright spot in that respect. He always is looking to sort of carry the ball forward and, and do good things with it. Uh, but tons of times in this game, you would have him or maybe, you know, another player pushing the ball up, up the wing. And there just wouldn't be anybody in support. There would be maybe three players anywhere near goal when it came time to sort of do something, maybe uh, create a chance. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's Dardai ball, baby. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, the NBA teams where they're just sort of tanking for a season or two. And, and you just know that, you know, just come back in a couple of years sort of thing. But I don't know. I guess there could be an outside chance. Yeah, they're they sort tenth. Of, they're they're not that far away if they get some more good results, I guess. I, I, I'm just not that sort of not psyched on them maybe that much. But um, one team I'm definitely not psyched on is Borussia Mönchengladbach at the moment, Matt. They, um, I saw them, as I said, beat Borussia Dortmund. I guess that was a, a good good result. But overall, it's just not really happening for, for Adi Hütter at the moment. He's trying to sort of recreate his... Uh, his winning formation there that he had uh, at Eintracht for a while, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just not happening. He's trying to, um, I mean, who would have thought you'd bring off Lars Stindl at halftime, you know, a couple of years ago. So either Lars Stindl is kind of regressing or, you know, this formation and strategy is sort of not getting the best out of his kind of talents. Even Neuhaus is, is on the bench, player is on the bench. I don't know what the hell's going on. Obviously, they had to liner as a bit of a problem, but Scully hasn't been too bad. You know, the problem with playing three at the back is that once you have someone like Ginter out, you're sort of, you know, what are you going to It doesn't look like he's he rates Yadzka uh, that, that highly. So, again, similar to what we said with, with Leipzig, you're sort of playing three at the back, but the personnel is, is, is not 
so great. Byers got potential, but Ben Sabaini's he's not really good for that position. So yeah, bit bit worrying for Borussia. Mushin Gladbach, obviously, Airbell has uh, you know put a lot of faith in in Hutter, and um, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to see uh, a snap reaction like we did in, in Wolfsburg. It's a long way off, but still, they're not looking good, mate. What do you think? Uh, I would agree, and I, I think that that sort of a reaction that we saw in Wolfsburg um, ain't going to happen. Maybe just because when you pay a release fee or a transfer fee, which is is pretty apparently uh, something that had to happen with a lot of these uh, coaches that moved from one club to another, I think it makes you a little bit more reluctant to uh, go back on your decision. And also, I don't think all is is lost just yet. I mean, they've they've had some good performances or performances that got them good results. You know, the the, the result against Dortmund, opening night against Bayern. I mean, they have not looked terrible every week but they did look pretty bad on saturday night this week but what at the beginning of the season i thought to myself okay they're not in europe so you know they're gonna have a lot of time on the training pitch and normally that really benefits a club and you would have thought with someone like huta that that would have been a real chance for him to to get his ideas across and to uh to get this team playing a little bit better than they are but some of the defeats that they've had i guess all their defeats have come on the road but um, you know, losing to Augsburg on the road. Indefensible. Uh, you know, losing to Union is not the worst thing at the moment. I mean, they got smashed against uh, in Leverkusen. Now they've lost uh, in Berlin where they really, they were terrible. I thought they, they didn't really look like scoring much, I didn't think. You know, he's invested uh, with Kone and, and Zachariah in, in central midfield. So, yeah, he's got some got some work to do, Adi Hutter. And I thought for sure that they would have been pretty much banking on getting it into the, at least Europa League. So um, if they fail to do that, yeah, they're not going to sack him. But if they don't get to Europa League, then that would be uh, something they weren't expecting. I thought I thought Eber would have been expecting top six for sure with the squad. And as I said, having not being in, in having the Thursday night fixtures, I thought that would have been one of their expectations for sure. Yeah, I think you're also right to point out that he is still searching for his best team. As well as trying to force things a little bit with this with this formation. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess the one thing that I would say in his favor is that um, if you think back to when he took over at Frankfurt, the first half of his first season at Frankfurt was pretty bumpy as well as he, he figured out who he could count on and um, what, what pieces fit in what puzzle slot. So... I'm not sold yet, but I'm not uh, I'm not panicking yet for them. Yeah, we'll see what happens. They've got a obviously midweek game against uh, Bayern Munich, which is going to be, let's say, challenging. Yeah, yeah. Although for some reason Bayern don't like it at the Borussia Park. <laughs> uh, I think they're going to like it this week somehow. I, don't, <laughs> <just> <laughs> I think uh, I think they're going to be liking this a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know, should we pencil them in for four or five goals? Well, yeah, their depth is incredible, and um, yeah, I, I just, they're just completely unstoppable at the moment. And uh, yeah, Bayern Munich supporters must be loving it. I can't believe people were doubting Leroy Sané not that long ago, Matt. Just another reminder to be very careful about getting on the on the fade train with players as good as as good as Sané. Yeah, and as young as Sané too. I mean, it's 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 absurd to think that people thought he was fading for good. I mean, you know, he's he's a man in his prime. Yep. He can uh, he can turn it on and very quickly. He's taking a lot of those uh, dead balls as well now, scoring free kicks. So that's just uh, giving him some more opportunities. 
Oh yeah, that 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 last free kick goal uh, that he scored uh, against Sporting was electrifying. All right, that's all for this episode of Talking Foosball, which was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul. Good to have you back, Matthew. Thanks for having me, mate. It's been a long time, but uh, yeah, hopefully we can chat about some Bundesliga action again very soon. Yeah, no joke, no joke. I, you know, I, I definitely remember you. I was with you the last uh, <laughs> the last time I was in Germany, seeing games uh, in a live manner, and I'm, I'm extra jealous that you're uh, back on the horse. Yeah, it's good to be seeing uh, games again and with with the fans at the stadium. It's uh, been too long, but yeah, it's good to get back to a little bit of normality for sure. No joke. Yeah, you can follow uh, Matthew on Twitter at NoobsCorp. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there. There'll be a new edition of Talking Foosball Extra coming your way in a couple of days, as well as Talking Foosball Fantasy to round out the week with James and Flo. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.